we're told in Scripture to behold the goodness and severity of the Lord. <clears throat> there are two sides to God. <clears throat> There's the goodness of God. And when we look around all creation, all the wonderful things He provided for us here in this time world, He's not only provided those things for us, but He also provided for us eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. But it's also, we're also told to behold the severity of God. Severity in judgment for disobedience. Consider Adam. Adam, in the Garden of Eden, God gave him every wonderful and beautiful thing. He gave him everything his heart could desire in the Garden with one rule. Not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam ate of that fruit, something happened to Adam. He died in a multitudinous way. Not just in a singular way. In many ways, he died in relationship to God. He died spiritually, lost his understanding of who God was. He was physically beginning to die. He died in losing any wisdom he would have had from God. He was separated from the very source of life and light. Many deaths occurred in the Garden of Eden. And we all suffer now as a result of Adam's sin. And unless we take the severity of God just as seriously as we take the goodness of God, and God is wonderfully good, we are sure to err. We are sure to make great mistakes and great errors. We know as primitive Baptists that God chose a people in Christ before the world began, and that same number for whom he did predestinate, them he also will glorify That same number of folks that were chosen in Christ before the world began will also be resurrected on the last day and be accepted into that kingdom that was prepared for them before the foundation of the world. Nothing can change that. But I want you to consider one thing. In Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent angels to go to Lot's house. And Lot, remember, was the um, relative of of Abraham, right? And he went down there. He was a righteous man. He went down in in Sodom and Gomorrah, and what happened when he came out? He came out alone with his two daughters who didn't have the wisdom and common sense and understanding of God. They ended up having relations with their own father. He came out empty. He went there seeking this world's goods, and he came out empty and a broken, wasted man. Didn't change his eternal destiny, but it wreaked havoc on his life. Behold the goodness And severity of God. One of the salvations that Jesus Christ purchased for his people. Which is one salvation that is not assured. It's not guaranteed. The guaranteed deliverance or salvation here in time. Is from ignorance and willful ignorance. Jesus Christ purchased this church for us. Now, what's the purpose of the church? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Let's take a look at that. And he gave gifts unto the church. And it begins with uh, chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Unless you're in the church, guess what you're not exposed to? This teaching ministry. 
this edification, this building up, this strengthening of you, giving you wisdom and insight that you otherwise would not have. How do I know that? Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We know that there were God's people throughout every nation and every kindred and every tribe since the beginning of the fall of the Garden of Eden. How do we know that? Revelation 5.9. Out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, thou hast redeemed us unto, God, unto our God. There's a people in every nation. But God, in his own sovereign wisdom, left every other nation ignorant of his word. But he did do something to them. He changed their nature. He put his, his laws in their hearts. How do we know that? Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, it says, Those who seek by uh, well-doing... It, uh, I'll read that verse exactly, because I don't want to mess it up. Because it's a critical verse. The world does not even read this verse. It says, um, To them by patient continuance and well-doing, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. These are Gentiles outside of the covenant of Israel. There are people that have always existed, have had, who have had a changed nature, who were different than everyone else. They wanted to do right. Right? You can always want to do right and not end up messing up anyway because you don't know how to do it right. Right? You may want to love someone, but unless you know how to love someone, you're going to mess it up. You may want to discipline someone, but unless you discipline someone according to God's word, you may mess it up. You may want to raise a family and bring forth fruits of goodness and wealth to your family. But unless you do it according to God's word, you're likely to mess it up. So we know that there are God's people in every nation, every kindred, every tribe, and every tongue. That means every single language has ever been spoken on the face of the planet. God has had a people in them. But he chose in his sovereignty to have one nation to whom he gave the oracles of God. Jesus said, salvations of the Jews. The deliverance from ignorance is of the Jews. The deliverance from the separation from God is of the Jews. That's the, that's the nation through Jesus Christ came. These things are critically important to our lives now. This, our church is not a social club. It's a school. And unless we take the school lessons seriously, we're sure to error. Think about Ephesians chapter 2 where it says this. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, Wherefore you remembered that in times past, Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcised, Uncircumcision by that which is the circumcision, which is the flesh made in the flesh made by hands, that in the time that at the time you were without Christ, he didn't say you were not regenerate. He did not say you were not elect. You had no knowledge of who Jesus Christ was and is. You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Aliens means not in fellowship and association with and membership of the commonwealth of Israel. They didn't have the scriptures. Think about Genesis chapter 3 to verse 6. You've got three chapters, no verses, no scripture, no instruction to God's people. How many people got saved? In time. This is not eternal salvation. God saved eight people. 
Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus Christ's own words. Jesus said, if the works that were done in, in um, Chorazin had been done in Sodom, they would have repented. What does that tell you? How many of God's children perished because of disobedience what they knew was right in their hearts? We all know adultery is wrong. How many of us commit it? We all know lying is wrong. How many of us commit it? It's when we willfully disobey what we know is right. God's put the truth in our hearts. We're to obey it. But in Scripture, we're giving a double witness. And then through preaching, we've got a third witness. And then we have the witness of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with us. As we're being taught, we know what the truth is. This, is, this church environment is critically important to us to learn how to live here in time, to glorify God and to reap the benefits of his word and of his spirit dwelling within us and the purchase that Christ made for us. He purchased the church with his own blood. <clears throat> and it's because we can come to God in the church with a clean conscience. Because why? You spoke last week about how happy we were when we were first baptized. I have a better question. How happy were you when you first believed? When you realized that your sins were gone. Then you were baptized. How happy were you when you first believed? When you first understood the gospel of Jesus Christ? That that condemning conscience was gone? Did you want to serve him? Do you want to obey him then? Because what had the fruits of your own labors and your own thoughts gotten you to that point? It had gotten you nowhere. It wrecked your life. It ruined you. Maybe you all didn't go through the same path that I did, but I'll guarantee you one thing. You suffered a great deal doing your own thing. It's only under the instruction of God's word that we have the assurance of striving to do what is right and knowing that when we fail, we have the acceptance with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That gives us courage and strength to get up the next day and do it again. Because we're st sinners still. It's Paul, the great apostle Paul said, I'm a sinner still. I'm the chief of sinners. <clears throat> so the Gentiles, who were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, I'll say another thing. This is not an old Baptist saying. There is no salvation outside of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's heretical. What I mean by that, there's no deliverance of your conscience without the truth of Jesus Christ. Without understanding what he did for you. Because otherwise you're still burdened with a guilty conscience trying to appease God. There's no joy. There's no life and abundant life without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sent the gospel forth into the world to save his people from the torments of Satan. From the torments of guilt. From the torments of wrong teaching. From the torments of your own decisions. Our own decisions. Jesus Christ sent the gospel and his apostles and his preachers out to save us, which we're the benefactors of today, right now, at this very time world. In this very moment, primitive Baptist churches, this church exists to glorify God. We're here to honor and glorify him by what? By taking his word as casually or taking his word seriously. Knowing that as... as, as um, um, Moses said the, the word is for your life this is for your life God said this is for your life the commandments are for your life it's to how you're, how you're to live it's to bring honor to Christ and we're to reap the fruits of joy as a result of it because we can test God's word and prove that he is good 
if you so for if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Having no hope, think about that. Their regenerate elect in the world had no hope. Why didn't they have hope? Because they had no information to go on. They had no assurance. The real hope of eternal life comes from knowing about who Christ is and what he did for you. And if you believe that truth, guess what you are? You're God's elect. You are regenerate, capable of believing the truth. What a blessed state to be in. The importance of the gospel is critically important to share with other folks. But now in Christ Jesus, in the body of Christ, in the church, he's talking to people who have already professed faith in Christ, have already been baptized, they're already of church membership. But now in Christ, you are sometimes afar off and made nigh by the blood of Christ. You are brought in close relationship, not by the actual shedding of Christ's blood, technically, but by the knowledge of what he did for you. Think about it. If you didn't know about the blood of Christ, you legally would still be one with him. But what about your experience? Isn't, didn't Christ care about your experience in this time world? He, he established the church for that very reason. That we would experience the joy of our salvation through the knowledge of what he has done for us. So we're brought nigh by the understanding of what the blood of Christ represents. It, it represents this. That the God of glory took on human flesh and came now for wretches such as us. And was willing to die and did die in our stead and suffered the wrath of God. Jesus Christ died in every way. That Adam died with the exception of one way that Adam did not die. Jesus sought the eternal wrath of God. Adam did not do that. Jesus was separated from his father. Jesus died in every way that we deserve to die. And he even took on the eternal wrath of God for us. How thankful should we be for his provisions in this church and in his word and for his spirit and for the covenant of grace given to us in Christ Jesus. Appreciate an interest in your prayers, the time that we stand before you. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 is a familiar text, and I pray it'll be a blessing uh, for us for a few minutes. There's about uh, four or five points in this one verse that uh, are a blessing and we'll look at uh, for a few minutes. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord. So we should take uh, special heed if it's the Lord that's delivering this. Certainly uh, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for us. But here it says that God is instructing us. Thus saith the Lord. Mention some things that we're, to, that we're to do. And then the blessing in the doing. Stand ye in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. I'm not going to read the last part of that verse. You can go home and read it. We may get to it here in a minute. But he gives us some instruction right here. Stand ye in the ways. If the Lord 
shows you the way. We are to walk in the way. And we're to stand in the way and stand fast in the way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Watch ye, we preached on this several months ago, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, and be strong. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Gives us some encouragement as we start off, if the Lord shows us the way. Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. I'm amused about the story of Brother Justice and Sister Tracy pulling up into the parking lot the first time. When they saw the sign and Sister Tracy said, what is primitive? And Brother Justice said, I don't know, but I like primitive things. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you, I hope you still do. Here he's talking about some old things. Primitive means first or original. Now, if I was picking a name, I probably would not have put primitive at the top of the list. But it's certainly acceptable, and it certainly defines what we believe. In looking at the names of Mount Carmel, in the office back there, there's a notepad of when they were about to constitute the church here. And I believe that there's either 12 or 13 names that were considered when they were looking to pick a name for Mount Carmel. A variety of names. Bethlehem, Old School Baptist. Uh, just a, Old School was uh, emphasized as much or more than primitive, which is certainly acceptable and defines what we believe. But it says to stand in the ways and, and see and, and, and ask for something. Ask for the, the old has. Now, it's not talking about an old rut. It's not necessarily talking about an old tradition. But it's finding where the old paths are or the original paths. Now, I'm very, very thankful for godly grandparents. And that was my connection to the old Baptist and to the truth. And I'm very, very thankful. And I'll always be thankful for my godly grandparents and I can trace back with my family through uh, uh, grandparents and great grandparents to about a hundred years that uh, old Baptists have been uh, something that my family's embraced through the years so you would think that that would be an old path that would give me uh, some assurance but but even that that hundred years is is not much more than a Mark a starting point to look for the old path. Sister Kathy Parker has a great history with her grandfather, Elder Walter Evans, down in North Carolina, lining hymns and preaching the gospel. And that takes that's a good starting point to point us toward the old paths. Mount Carmel is almost 85 years old, and, and what a great blessing that. 
Mount Carmel is and and the gospel's been proclaimed here for 85 plus years and that's a that's a good starting point to go back to the original path that we're looking for we could we could travel north or south go south about 45 50 miles to Columbia Church and and the same doctrine has been proclaimed there for uh, 226 years uh, Columbia Church started in 1792 and the gospel's been proclaimed there. So that ought to be a, a really good old path. But that's not the old path that we're looking for. That's a real good start and it points us in the right direction. You could travel north to Wilmington or, or even less than that, 30 miles to the Welsh Track Church that started in 1698. And they've been meeting consistently over 300 years. And you would think that's an old path and certainly it's a good starting point for us. And what a wonderful legacy that is proclaimed that the gospel in this area, both north and south, have been proclaimed for several hundred years. And that's a great starting point for us. But that's not the old paths that we're looking for. The old paths that we're looking for go all the way back over 2,000, I say 200, 2,000 years. The old path that we're looking for for the church of Jesus Christ travels back past my grandparents, past my great-grandparents, past the Columbia Church, past the Welsh Track Church, and travels all the way back. It, all those other things are good starting points for us, but it passes all the way back to 2,000 years to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ is the old path that we're looking for. And what Jesus Christ put in place the example that he put in place is what we're looking for. And if we stop short of that, we're missing the mark along the way. So this little body of believers here at Mount Carmel that meets together and worships and this, this assortment of folks, if we stop short of Jesus Christ, we've missed the mark. Here Jesus Christ starts out and he says in Matthew chapter 16, he says, he says, um, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and he's talking about not Peter, but Jesus Christ, he says upon this rock I, shall, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's encouraging to me to know that even though in some areas of the country, in many areas of the country, the church goes through a variety of seasons. Sometimes it prospers and grows. Sometimes it declines. Sometimes uh, it looks like it gets discouraging along the way. But we can go back to this verse and we can realize that if the church was started by Jesus Christ, that he has promised that all the gates of hell are not going to prosper against it. And there's going to be some place upon this earth where the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed when the Lord comes back. That encourages me that no matter if we go through seasons of decline among the churches, no matter if we see places where the doors have closed along the way, that we are encouraged that if indeed it's the church of Jesus Christ, the church is going to be sustained. Now, I'll tell you, a lot of times when the church declines along the way, it's not the Lord's fault. It's our fault when it does. It is. 
I had a thought I was going to share, and I think I won't. <laughs> Maybe later. I think I will. <laughs> some of you were here, and some of you weren't. On my most difficult day in pastoring Mount Carmel, only two or three times since I've been pastoring have I thought that uh, my time was finished. Two or three times. Some of you may have been here during all of those times, but one of those times in particular, I got super, super, super discouraged. And the Lord used one person to encourage me. Sister Marie Hayes. I was just about ready to quit. I'm telling you. And I looked out and saw the face of Sister Marie Hayes. And I saw how that she still wanted a church family and still wanted a pastor. And I went down and encouraged Sister Hayes. And then the rest of the folks. You don't pastor a church 27 years and not get discouraged at some point along the way. You don't. But God used Sister Marie. God uses different ones at different times to encourage us. But on one of my greatest days of discouragement ever, God used Sister Marie. I'm going to miss her just knowing that she's not here. But I'll tell you what. Even though we were going to go sing for her last Wednesday and, and, and she beat us to the punch, she went on ahead and went to see the Lord that day. I thought the singing that she's going to hear is far better than in our best efforts here. Well, Lord is, uses things to help us keep on in this life. And sometimes he puts certain people in our path. And he did use Sister Marie that time. He says, ask for the old paths. And he says that if we find the old paths, that it's a, uh, it's a good way. I wonder why it's a good way. It's a good way because the Lord is the one that established this old path. If we had established this old path, it... Um, it had faults along the way. If the church has problems, it's not the Lord that causes the problems. It's us. What the Lord started and what the Lord's established is a good way and a good path. What is that good path? thought that Brother Cook was going to steal my verse. He got close. He leaned over and showed it to Bray. I'm glad he stopped a little bit before. What is that good path? What is that good way? Brother Cook pointed towards it with a, a bright light. Ephesians chapter 2, going to go down a little bit from where Brother Cook was. He says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. 
You know what? That's some good news. To know that we're not strangers. We may be strangers in the world, but we're not strangers in God's kingdom. He says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens. So one of the old paths that uh, is wonderful when you find it is that you're a fellow citizen with the household of God. You've got something that's in common. You've got something that you share. Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley, put out an article of five reasons that people leave the church. And one of the five reasons that he mentioned here is that a lot of times when people associate or unite with something, they associate and they join the church, the building. He said, you can disassociate just as easily as you associate with the building. But the church is not the building. The church is the body, the people. And it's harder to disassociate yourself with the body than it is the building. And right here, he's saying right here, he says that we are no more strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. He's saying right here, you're part of a family. You're part of a church family. And he says, and are built up upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. First of all, this old path ought to go all the way back to Jesus Christ and then it ought to go all the way back to the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so if we stop short of that, it's not the old path. It's not. He says, let's go all the way back to the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ, he says, and by the way, let me remind you, even if you trace it all the way back to the apostles, even if you trace it all the way back to the prophets, you've got to remember that the prophets and the apostles are not the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is that foundation. He says, in fact, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of his church. That means it's what it's built upon. Jesus Christ has to be the cornerstone of the church. If our doctrine, if our practice does not point us toward Jesus Christ, we're missing something along the way. And we don't have that old path. He says, uh, and whom the, all the body, and whom all the building, he's not talking about the, the structural building, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye all are builded together and habitation of God through the Spirit. I think that's really neat how it's defined right here. It's basically talking about a family that's filled with the Spirit of God. I, 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 I go back to Sister Polk when she came in the doors the first time. She said, when I walked through the doors, I knew that I'd found home. She said, I felt it, I sensed it, and the interaction with the folks helped me to know that that's where I was supposed to be. And he says right here, in whom ye also are builded together and habitation of God through the Spirit. I'm going to touch again on Brother, Brother Cook, uh, touched on this just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4, just a few verses right here. 
It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. All right, we're going back to the original church, the old path. He says, in this body, he gives some apostles, some prophets, some pastors and teachers, some evangelists. And he says, and he tells us right here what uh, uh, the purpose of this old path is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and by the cunning craftiness where they, by they lie and wait to deceive. Two more really good verses here. But speaking the truth in love. I want you to pray for me that first of all, I'll be able to speak the truth. I want you to pray that God will bless me to speak the truth. And the best way for you to know if I'm speaking the truth is for you to read God's word and find out if I'm speaking the truth. If I'm not speaking the truth, then you need to come talk to me about it and redirect me so that I speak the truth. And I'll do my best to speak the truth. But also it says right here that's just as important as speaking the truth. It's important that we speak the truth, but also that we speak the truth in love. Look what he says. He says, speaking the truth in love, that he may grow up in that that uh, in, in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. He just simply says right here that as we grow, we grow together; that we grow individually, and as we grow individually, we begin to grow together. And the Lord blesses the Spirit, and that. It edifies one another and it glorifies the Lord. And as we learn more about the Lord and about his church and about his doctrine and we grow together, that we're edified as a body together. It goes on down. The whole chapter is really, really good. But uh, encourage you to to read that. Um, one more place in uh, in first Peter. First Peter chapter two says verse 9 let's let's start with uh, verse 9 but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light this is this little band of believers that he calls now Asking and seeking and looking for and searching for the old path. First of all, Jesus Christ must be the cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets, the church is built upon the same doctrine that the apostles and the prophets taught. You can go over and for time's sake, I'm not going to read all of it, but for time's sake you can go over and read Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it describes to us in the early church, the old paths in Acts chapter 2, it teaches us in the beginning the doctrine of repentance and baptism. It teaches us the conviction of sin. It teaches as we go on down and read in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 that we are to continue steadfastly. That means uh, on an ongoing basis with a measure of commitment. In number one, the apostles' doctrine. In uh, breaking of bread, in fellowship, and in prayers. 
And then if you go over to Ephesians chapter 4, it talks to to us about speaking together in psalms and hymns, uh, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. These are the old original paths that the apostles and the prophets, that they uh, put in place, that Jesus Christ set up when he was here upon this earth as he established the church body. He did it in a very simple fashion, in a very simple form. He did it in a manner in which the doctrine itself always points to Jesus Christ. Everything about the doctrine gives glory to the Lord. It teaches us who we are, the sinners we are, the depraved creatures that we are in and of ourselves. But it teaches us the hope and the assurance and the security that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the old paths. And he tells us, if we seek the old paths, if we stand in the old paths, if we ask for the old paths... He says it's a good way. And he says that we should walk therein when we find these old paths. That means not just seeing it and admiring it. Remember, brother, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he told me he he didn't join until he was late in life and he started reading the Bible a little bit and he said brother Stephen he said I just have to be perfectly honest with you I'm not really a reader of the word I'm just an admirer of it well what he's saying about the church right here is not to be just an admirer don't just admire it from a distance don't just admire it and say oh that looks like That's where it is. But he says that actually, if you embrace it, he said there's a rest in it. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 11. Here's what Jesus Christ says. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I think it's interesting here the way he describes it. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Anybody here ever heavy laden? I mean, you're just weighted down, you're burdened down. It seems like that the cares of life just get so almost insurmountable that you just can't hardly keep on keeping on. Well, then this is for you. He says, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And and I've got some good news for you. I've got some good news for those that that are laboring and they're heavy laden. I've got good news for those that get discouraged along the way. That feel like that they want to pitch in the towel. That they want to faint along the way. He says, I've got some really good news for you. He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And he says, for those that labor and are heavy laden, he says, I'll give you rest. He didn't always remove that labor from us. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing when the Lord blesses you with natural rest? Don't you just hate to wake up at 12 o'clock and lay there all night long and get up the next morning and you're, you're totally exhausted? Isn't it a blessing when the Lord gives you rest at night from a physical standpoint? 
that you can lay down and you can sleep and you wake up well rested. It's amazing what you can take on the next day if the Lord's blessed you with physical rest. Brother Sonny Piles used to say, we take pills and stimulants to get us going in the morning and we take pills and stimulant or uh, pills and other stuff to try to slow us down at night. Wouldn't it a blessing when God just gives us a good night's rest? Well, here he says that in the midst of the cares of all the challenges of life, he said, I'll also bless you with a spiritual rest. You're still going to have them. Sometimes God delivers us from us. From, sometimes he delivers them, us from them. But sometimes he doesn't. But he's promised that his grace is sufficient for us. Now look what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly. And he says, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways. It's not necessarily an old tradition. Traditions can be a blessing. Some can not be. Tradition's not what we worship. There's the old church up at Welch Track. It was a tradition uh, for many, many years for the women to sit on one side and the men to sit on the other. And they had a petition right down the middle to separate it. That's not necessarily an old path. That's a tradition that, uh, that they put in place. It says, stand in, in the old ways, see and ask for the old paths. And he says, and by the way, it's the good way. And then he says, once you see this good way, he says, then walk therein. And he says, when you walk therein, you'll find rest for your souls. Sad portion to the latter part of that verse. There were some of them that heard that and this was their response. But they said, we'll not walk therein. If God's shown you the old path, if he's shown you the old way, we're blessed when we walk there yet. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.